Continue to live as you have, and the Lord Satan promises you a place in his kingdom. The preacher, his face and arms burnt black by the son of Outremer, thundered his warning. This prophet from the desert had suddenly appeared in Lyon, and was now walking alongside the papal procession, winding its way down to Gourguillon from the church of Saint-Just, where, on the 14th of November in the year of our Lord 1305, Bertrand de Gaut, Archbishop of Bordeaux, had been crowned Pope Clement V. I bring a letter for you, the preacher continued in a trumpet-like voice. The devil tells you to despise the life of poverty and the teaching of the apostles. Fight it! Hate it as Satan himself hates it! My lord, Pope, the devil says this. Your mother, pride, greets you. Your sisters, trickery, avarice and shamelessness do likewise, together with your brothers, incest, robbery and murder. This is all contained in a letter drawn up in the depths of hell to the acclamation of a horde of demons who impatiently await your arrival. The preacher, hands extended, would have launched into another tirade, but retainers of the papal household seized him and dragged him away, beating him senseless with their clubs and leaving the shabbily dressed wanderer to sprawl in a widening pool of his own blood. Clement V hardly spared the miserable wretch a glance. Seated on his beautifully caparisoned pure white palfrey, he basked in his own glory, his yellowing face creased in a fixed smile as he stared from under heavy-lidded eyes at the crowd that had flocked to witness the first crowning of a pope on French soil. Clement, however, just wanted to be away, out of the power of Philip of France, who walked alongside the papal palfrey holding its bridle, whilst, on the other side, Philip's brother Charles of Valois also helped guide the mount. Both Capetian princes were determined to keep a firm hand on this pope, who had decided to escape the ferocious factional fighting between the great families of Rome. Clement had taken exile in Avignon, just beyond the borders of France, yet near enough for sudden flight back into Italy or even across the mountains into Spain. He was determined to transform the place into his own private paradise. He would plant pear and peach trees in gardens covered with flowers. In the branches of his orchards, fledgling doves would try their wings above gurgling streams pouring across moss-strewn rocks to water his Eden. He would bring his entire household to live in finely constructed mansions, his troops of buffoons, jesters and mummers, servants, both male and female, secretaries, pages, squires and a host of equerries. These would supervise his goshawks, falcons, hunting dogs and Arab horses. However, that was for the future. For the moment he was determined to revel in his new-found glory. He clasped his white-gloved hands as if in prayer before touching the gorgeously decorated pearl-white tiara with its blood-red lappets. He had insisted that the tiara, the papal crown, be brought from Rome, 
for it was a symbol of his authority over both the visible and the invisible. It was fashioned out of pure white silk, and lavishly decorated with a myriad of precious stones which gleamed in a dazzling shimmer of colour. The crowning glory was a large wine-coloured ruby placed firmly between the two golden ribbons wound around the tiara. Those who knew called this ruby the Lacrima Christi, the tear of Christ, one of those shed during the Saviour's passion, a blood-filled tear that fell to the ground at the foot of the cross and miraculously turned into the most beautiful jewel the world had ever seen. A precious stone that passed from one hand to another. It had been plundered a few years ago from the King of England's treasury, when the felon Richard Pudlicott and his coven had broken into the crypt of Westminster Abbey and stolen the crown jewels, and had emerged in Rome, the coveted possession of Clement V's predecessor, Pope Boniface VIII.